Well, morning. Good to not see you. Oh, there you are. Yeah, they look really good in the dark, okay? Just leave the lights off. It's okay. My wife used to tell me I look better in the dark, too, so that's all right. Hey, let me do a shameless plug really quick. I have this really cool new mug um, that we ordered. It says, Jesus Coffee Repeat Three Trails. Uh, we've got these out at the, out at the uh, cafe, actually, if you're interested in one. I think they're 10 bucks a piece. If you're a first-time guest, actually, it's worth it because they're totally free. And there's a couple different ones. The other one says, welcome home. So if you want a mug this morning, go, shameless plug, go get yourself a mug and have some coffee so that you can wake up during worship and engage. It'll be great next week. Everyone will have one in their hands and you'll be jumping up and down because you'll have so much Java in your system that you won't be able to contain yourself. So it'll be great. When was the last time you saw a guy preaching a hat? It's really sacrilegious, I apologize, but I can't see otherwise. So just, we're gonna have to just deal with it and forgive one another and move on this morning, Okay. I want to talk about hope this morning. We're starting a new series uh, that's called Hope, Living Holy in a Hostile World. And um, we're going to talk about over the next few weeks hope, and we're going to talk about that in the context of 1 Peter. So we're going to dig in for, I think, four or five weeks and look at the ideas and the themes kind of behind 1 Peter. And it's really full of a lot of really great truth, a lot of really great principles, things that we can hang our hats on, things that we can live by, things that God wants to teach us and show us and grow us. Um, He talks about trials. He talks about being in exile. He talks about persecution and suffering. He talks about instructions for husbands and wives, and then right after that, interestingly, again, talks about suffering. And then direction for the church, um, holiness and hope, and then suffering. Um, There's a theme that underlies all of that, and that really is trials and suffering and hope. And so I want us to just take a minute, because there's a word we're going to unpack this morning, and I'm not going to give it to you yet, because I want to see if you can figure it out, but there's a word that we're going to unpack this morning that really lies behind hope, um, and, and I want to know if you can get there. It's, it's one word that really is a game changer. It's one word that really determines the outcome or the path or whether we're going to make it or not, and whether our hope is just hope in nothing or hope in something that we can actually hang our hat on uh, in life, and it will really decide what's next. Hope is, is defined as this. It's a feeling of expectation or desire for certain things to happen. Y'all remember the World Series in 2014 with the Royals and all the hope we had in the Royals and hoping not to get yosted and lose and guess what? We got yosted and lost. And so we had hope again the next year as they came back in 2015 and they went all the way to the World Series and we had hope that they'd win the World Series, but our hope really wasn't based in anything other than, man, I just really hope they win because if they don't, it's just a bummer. And then we had the Chiefs did the same thing, right? The Chiefs, we had hope that they were going to win the Super Bowl and nope, didn't win it the first time around because nobody would break Tom Brady's leg. And so the next time around, uh, we, we won the Super Bowl, right? And then we lost again. But we'll go back in, in 20 years after Denver wins it again. It'll be great. So, um, hey, come on now. Come on. I didn't wear my jersey. It's okay. But here's the question I want to ask you this morning. What is your hope based on? Um, hope by itself is really just an empty word. It's kind of an emotion. It's kind of a, maybe a hairy feeling on the back of our neck. It always bothers me when people ask for prayer on, on Facebook or social media, and they say prayer. And I always struggle to say, I hope you feel better, instead of saying, I pray you feel better, right? Because I don't just hope you feel better. I actually want to intercede for you and give you something, maybe a little more than, or I'm going to pass you warm fuzzies. Well, that really does a lot of good. Thanks for that. Get saved and pray, all right? So hope is nothing unless it's based on something, And hope has to be based on something. Our hope is always based on something that we believe, something that we 
that we want, something that may be out there that we're, that we're trying to get to. It's not enough to, to hope to pass the test, is it, Maggie? You have, to actually, you have to actually do something. It's not enough to hope that you get that promotion. It's not enough to hope that you'll have enough money at the end of the month. It's not enough to hope that you're going to find the right person. It's not enough to hope that your marriage doesn't fall apart. It's not enough to hope that your kids are going to grow up and be okay. It's not enough to hope that you're going to make it to heaven. Your hope has to be based on something. And so why does it matter where we place our hope? Because we're going to face trials and troubles. And here's what's interesting, and this is what's so backwards about Christianity and what's so backwards about the way that we should think about trials and tribulations and troubles in our lives. Because in James 1, 2, it actually says, and we're commanded to consider it pure, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You're supposed to be happy about it. We're supposed to be okay when we face trials and temptations of every kind. And I don't know about many of you, but I have literally been to the threshold of hell and back in my life, and there are times that I was not joyous about it. There were times I was not praising God about it. There were times that I really struggled to do that and to find that hope. And that's really a jacked up backwards way to think compared to how the world thinks, isn't it? I mean, when we hit the rock bottom, then, you know, we're supposed to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and all that stuff, and that's all fine, but we've got to have hope in something, right? And so we'll face trials, and I want to just point out that many of our trials are of our own doing. Many of our trials are of our own doing. Sometimes we're living out the consequences of the stuff that we did in the midst of maybe a trial, and we're still struggling or put ourselves into a trial because of a decision we made whether that's results of poor investments or budgeting or um, poor choices or laziness or, or cheating on a spouse or abuse of alcohol or pornography or ultimately really just sin, anything that we kind of produce ourselves that puts ourselves into a trial either right then or down the road because we made a bad decision or things that we have to live out and get past. But in the midst of those, we learn, right? And then there's things that we have absolutely no control over, a bad economy, a loss of a job, right? Um, uh, an unfaithful spouse, sickness, death, someone, someone cutting you off in a minivan on your motorcycle and you just run right into the side of it and you get injured and hurt, right, Kevin? It's an accident. Stuff happens. And what we have to decide in that moment is whether or not our pastor paid off that minivan driver to cut off that motorcycle, right? Um, but no, we, we have to decide in that moment how we're going to handle that trial and that tribulation. We have to decide in that moment and in those moments that come after that, where is our hope? And it's great to have hope in doctors, and it's great to have hope in, in nurses, and it's great to have hope in, in all kinds of things. But ultimately, we have to have hope in something beyond that. And what happens when that hope runs out? What happens when I'm all out of hope? Where are we left? So the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to look at where is my hope based? When we lose hope, we really lose what holds us together. Ultimately, and this is the word that I want you to grab we lose our faith. Because if our hope isn't based in our faith, and not our faith in all those other things, but our faith in Jesus Christ, and our faith in Scripture, and our faith in the belief that God has got this, that God is in control, that it's going to be okay whether it's okay or not, because God's got this. And that is a hard thing to grasp in the darkest moments of our lives. Amen? To have never found faith to begin with places our hope on things that disappear. And we find ourselves lost in the darkness that will eat us alive. Have we lost our hope? 
My answer to that is, but God. Have you lost faith? The answer to that is, but God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning as we look at some things that are often uncomfortable for us because we don't want to grasp them. Because ultimately, God, we know that you have the best things in mind for us, but we don't always see that. And God, the truth is we might not see this until we get to the other side of eternity, until we pass into your presence. We may never fully understand why things happen. We may never fully understand why you allow the trials that you allow, why you, why you allow the temptations that you allow. But we know this, God, you're a good God, and they're not caused by you because you want what's best for us. And sometimes those trials and tribulations and temptations are the very best thing for us. So God, as we look at hope this morning and our faith, God, I pray that we would embrace the reality that you are God and we're not. And that you've got this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. I'm going to get a little personal with a couple things this morning, so I'm probably going to get a little teary because that's just me. Um, but, But... I want you to understand when we walk through life that, that, first of all, we're not alone because of our God, but we're not alone because of each other. First Peter, context. Let me tell you where we're at. If you've got your Bibles, you've got your phone, wherever you're at, turn to First Peter chapter 1. We're going to go there this morning. We're going to dig in just a little bit. Not going to use a, a ton of, excuse me, a ton of that, but we're going to dig a little bit. First of all, Peter was a fisherman and a businessman. Anybody a fisherman? Anybody good enough at it to make a living? Nope, me neither. So Peter was also a businessman. Sometimes they consider him to maybe not be the smartest chip in the bag or maybe the elevator didn't go all the way to the top because he was very brash uh, and he was very, very in your face and he had a big mouth and he didn't always control it very well. Uh, but Peter was a disciple of Jesus and so he was called, when he was called, he was called by the name Simon, which later changed to the name T- Peter. Um, the context of First Peter was it was written between about 60 and 65 A.D. You say, well, why is context important? Why do we have to have a history lesson? Because many times if we try to apply Scripture to today's culture, it doesn't make sense. And, and we can't necessarily apply it unless we understand the, the, the context of where it was at the time so that we can then take that and, and apply it, that truth to our lives today. And he was under the reign of Nero. Now, if you've ever heard of Nero, he was an evil and he was a corrupt ruler. I mean, this is just a bad guy. He makes anything that we might have in the world today look like pumpkins and spice. He was great compared to, he was horrible compared to what we have today. He killed his mother. He killed his first wife. Chances are he probably killed his second wife. So when I was talking about that suffering earlier, he took care of that, didn't he? Um, but he did. He killed, he killed both of, he probably killed both of his wives. Um, history believes that he actually burned Rome. In July of 64 AD, there was a six-day fire that was set that was finally put out and then reignited again for three days. He wanted to keep building and building and building Rome, and the Senate told him no. So historians believe that he just burned it down so he could rebuild it. That's messed up. That is jacked up. He, he, uh, he, he started to take the blame for all this stuff, kind of started to come back on him, and so he decided he was going to put that blame on this little group of people who were living out there called Christ ones or Christians. And so he transferred that blame over to those Christians, and it added to the persecution that was already taking place in their lives. They were already fleeing. They were already running for their lives at times because of the persecution that was taking place. So this is the backdrop of 1 Peter. And let me give you an idea of persecution, because this isn't like standing around the water cooler and somebody saying, just keep that to yourself. I don't really care about your faith. Okay, this is a whole other world of persecution. They would literally tie animal skins onto people that call themselves Christians and release packs of wild dogs onto them to maul them. At night, they would take 
Christians and they would dip them in wax and they would tie them to a tree and they would light them and burn the tree and the Christian for light. This is the kind of persecution that was going on. This is the kind of in your face when someone asked you, are you a believer, and you answered yes or no, you were gonna face some real consequences for it. You were gonna face some real suffering in this time. And so that's all in the backdrop of what we're looking at. And these are real people. These are, these are people with families and kids and cousins and wives and, and, and children that were being killed and persecuted like this. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, comes out and talks about it like this. First Peter, to God's elect exiles, and let's stop there for just a second. Exiles or, or, or foreigners um, is, is the word there, and a foreigner is a, is, an, is a sojourner or an alien or a stranger, so somebody who doesn't really belong here. So to the exiles scattered throughout the provinces of, of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so these sojourners are people who are traveling through. They're just passing through, and that's what Scripture tells us. That even in the midst of all this stuff, this isn't the final destination. So if you're a believer and you're here this morning, we have the hope in our faith in Jesus that this is not the end. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that it gets better, right? There's an eternity ahead. And this is really great, especially if you're here this morning and you're just not sure about this whole like faith in Christ thing. This is a really great picture of the reality of what Christianity is and honestly will probably become in less time than we might want to talk about. So foreigners equals, this isn't our dwelling place. And so for someone who's a believer today, or for those who aren't yet, this is what that looks like. It means that we have a different set of values. It means that we have different morals than other people. It means that, that we have a different belief system because we have a belief in Jesus. It means that we're different as a mom or a dad. We were on our way to church this morning. I've had two great really things said to me in the last two days. Both of them made me want to cry. But we're on our way to church this morning, and Maggie and I, I know we stopped at Lamar's and got donuts because I'm not fat enough and I needed more. So we stopped on our way because I always get a lemon-filled Bismarck. Anybody else like lemon donuts? Am I the, oh, there you are. You're my one right there. Um, so we stopped, and we're on our way to church, and Maggie and I were talking about going to church and stuff and asking, I think, Macy. Macy was in the car and asked Macy if she was going to come to church. She had to work this morning, and, and I said, well, it's important because, you know, we want to go to church because, you know, and, and Maverick looks at me and says, yeah, because we're a God house. It's like, rock on, brother. You got it. We're a God house. That was awesome from a seven-year-old little kid, man. You know you're doing maybe just one thing right when they start saying stuff like it. It was just a cool moment. Dealing with my son-in-law, and I'm not going to tell you about that because I will cry. But we're different as a husband. We're different as a wife. Um, we're different with our enemies. We, we treat people differently that may not like us or that maybe we find ourselves not liking. We're different with our finances. We're different in the way that we handle our money. We're different in the way that we budget. We're different in the way that we, that we give back to the kingdom of God so that the kingdom of God expands. We're, we're different in choosing the right person and how we might go about that, right? We're different in our work ethic because we work unto God. You hate your job, let me tell you the way around that because there are days that I absolutely, Thursday was one of those days. We had, we had 48 patients in the orthopedic clinic at Children's Mercy and normally when there's 48 patients to see, there's like seven of us that take care of them and there were two of us. I didn't sit down from nine till noon. I don't even know what happened but I just knew I was getting really, really hungry, right? You ever do that? You're working so hard, you just get hungry. On days you don't like your job, I just... Put Jesus in the place of whatever is there that I'm not liking, and I'm working for Jesus. And that just changes our perspective on work. We're different in how we spend our time. Why? Because our hope is in Jesus, because our faith is in the truth of his word, and the knowledge that following Jesus isn't about rules. Wait for it. It's about rewards. Now, let me tell you what that means, because some of you are going to go, well, and I'll tell you. I'll get my checking account after church. If you give me each $1,000 after church, all your problems will be solved. That is not 
what I mean by rewards, okay? This is not giving Kenneth Copeland money so he can buy another $6 million airplane. That's not where we're at this morning. But we have rewards because of the actions and because of the steps we take and following scripture and the way we live our lives. And our hope being in that and knowing that the outcome of doing those things right and following those principles, they don't look like rules anymore because on the backside of that, God, is a, God can bless us and God can work in our lives. That doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. It doesn't mean it's, gonna, it's always gonna be great. But there's an upside of all of that and that's the hope. And now we're still gonna face trials. Stuff's still gonna happen to us. It's about how we go through them or perhaps even never escape them because the reality is there are trials and there are things that are going to happen to us that we may never find our way out of. There are things that happen to us that we may never find our way out of. That's real hope, but it's based on the one word of faith. In verse 6, First Peter says this, in all this you greatly rejoice. In all these trials and all these temptations and all this junk in your life, we are going to greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief. Anybody else suffer grief? Two hands in the air flying high, right? We've all suffered grief. Yes, we've all been there. We've all felt it. Some of us have felt it more than others. Some of us have felt it less than others. Maybe you've never lost anybody close to you yet. Maybe you have, but we have all suffered in one way or another. We've suffered in, in grief and all kinds of trials, but it grows our faith if we allow it to. It results in praise and glory and honor to our God. When we find joy in our, in our trials, it's only because, it's only because of Jesus. That is the only way that we find that glory. So let's talk about faith this morning, just a little bit. Let's talk about what that faith looks like. Faith is defined as a, com in, the, in, in the world, is the complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So when I have faith in someone, I have complete confidence that they're gonna do what I asked them to do or they're gonna follow through on whatever it was that was gonna happen. I believe they're gonna be there for me. I have faith. When we get married, we all have faith that our spouse is gonna be there for us, that that's always gonna be there. But the reality is that that doesn't always happen, does it? The reality is that marriages break apart. And even in the midst of that, we can still find our way to hope and peace. Even in the midst of a spouse getting sick and dying, we can still find hope and peace and rest in our faith in Christ. It's a game changer and really a game definer. It sets the rules for the game of life. We had a, a, a ministry leader and, and leadership meeting the other night over at Brian and Sarah's, and we were talking about you know, encouraging our teams and how are we going to grow our ministry teams here at the church and how do, we, how do we get more folks through the doors and what are we doing right, what are we doing wrong? But one of the things we talked about was defining the win. What does a win look like? What, what, how, do we, how do we know if we're doing something right? Is if the pews are full? Well, not necessarily. A win is, is when someone comes to, comes to Jesus and accepts, accepts him as their Lord and Savior. That's, that's a win, a win is when somebody goes through the baptism waters and, and, and publicly says, hey, look, I'm a believer. Check it out. I'm walking with God now. A win is when somebody gets plugged into a, a life group. A win is when, when a kid back in children's ministry memorizes a verse and gets it, right, and understands it. A win is people not only coming to Christ, but then engaging with Christ. And so we have to define a win if we're going to define how faith is going to work for us. What we place our faith in defines what we consider to be success and achievement. When we place our hope and our faith in things of this world, we are inevitably going to be disappointed. 
It's always going to happen. But trials reveal where our faith is. And so is it a genuine faith or a false faith? What do we have this morning? As, we, as you look internally and you think about where your faith lies and where your hope lies, is it lying in Jesus or is it lying in something else? Or is it maybe lying in Jesus, but I'm not really sure yet if it's lying in Jesus. Because he's been there for me sometimes, but sometimes he hasn't, and I don't know if I can trust him. And there are probably some of you here this morning that feel that way. It's easy to to have that false faith. And honestly, in parts of our world, to claim Christ equals you lose everything and maybe even your own life. And so in other parts of the world, having that faith is is a lot more serious and a lot more of a real thing than it is for us here. It's pretty easy to be a, a believer here. It's pretty easy to be a Christian in America, isn't it? I mean, we're still sitting here. We're still having small groups. I still pray at lunch. I still talk about Jesus to the people I work with. I can still send a letter to the President of the United States and say, hey, I think we should follow Jesus more, and they're not going to come arrest me and dip me in candle wax and tie me to a tree and burn me, okay? It's still pretty easy to be a believer in America, and sometimes that's the problem. Sometimes that's the issue. Sometimes, and, and in most places around the world where the church is really thriving in places like China, is places where there really is real persecution going on, where it really might cost you your life, because you don't play around with your faith at that point. You don't goof around with whether you're a believer or not. If you're not, you ain't about to go deal with what you're gonna deal with if your faith isn't real. So how does God use our trials? Well, first of all, trials reveal our faith. Jump down to verse seven, it says this in eight. These have come, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. A genuine faith is a faith that has been tested and can be trusted. A genuine faith is a faith that can be, that's been tested and can be trusted. Does that make sense? Our, our, our faith becomes real to us when we go through trials. If it were just cakewalk all day long, everybody would do it. But it's not, and we're not even promised that. Look at Peter. He was tested and he failed, like failed completely, I mean, he failed in a way that hopefully we, we, we never fail, although I think I've been here. But let's jump back 25 years, and if you, if you jump over to Luke 22, 31, 32, you can write this down, look at it later, but, but it says this, Jesus was, was saying to, to Peter, Simon, Simon, before he was Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. So Jesus was saying, look, Peter, Satan wants to test you. He wants to see what you're made of. The enemy wants to take us out. But he said, I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, not always going to get, uh, I'm sorry, and when you've turned back, um, and that means that we're not always going to get right. So you, when, you've, when you've messed up and you've turned back around, right, that you, you strengthen your brothers. So you pass on that faith to others. How did God tr- tr- transform Peter through trials. Well, look at his early years. Peter was, he was, he was obnoxious. He was a big mouth. He was always, always, always had his foot in his mouth. It, just, it was just constant. Anybody else like that? I've always been like that. At some point, God will grow me and I'll stop probably, maybe, I don't know. Mike Moses is really praying for it because I keep making fun of him for being short. But that's okay because I'm gonna grow in my faith and it'll be better someday. It'll be great. But how did he transform Peter, right? He was obnoxious. But in later years, he was bold and he was full of faith. How did he get there? He went through trials. Peter denied Jesus. When Jesus was was, was being beaten, Peter Peter literally said, I don't know him. He said, I don't know him three times. He said, I don't know him to a schoolgirl. How afraid are you at that point when you're denying Jesus to a schoolgirl, right? I mean, he was freaked out. 
And he looked in Jesus' eyes, and his heart was broken. And then Jesus dies on the cross, and three days later, he's raised from the tomb. And in John 21, we see Jesus and Peter talking. And Jesus asks Peter, he says, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I do. Yes, I do. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And not only that, but Peter moves on to be the guy that preaches at Pentecost, and 3,000 people are saved. This guy becomes the leader of the disciples, the leader of the apostles, the guy that they look to. So look at the transformation that happened in this guy's life because he went through trials, because he was tempted, and because he utterly failed. On this rock, on Peter, Jesus said, I'll build my church. So consider it joy when we face trials. Why? Because if we let them, it increases our faith, it increases our hope, it increases our joy, and increases our lives. And if you're middle, middle in the, of pain or trials this morning, and some of us are, God can and will use it. And then number two, that faith always requires action. Listen, God told Moses to go and lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Was it easy? Anybody know the story? Wasn't easy, was it? It was not an easy task. He had, to, he had to actually put his faith into action. When God told David he was to be king as a boy, David ran for his life from Saul who was trying to kill him before he would become king. He went through trials and temptations and he had to put his faith into action. God told Hosea to take a wife of prostitution. Read the story, it's fascinating, the book of Hosea. And Hosea had to continue to forgive and bring her back to himself as a picture of what it is when Jesus continues to bring us back to himself. He, he blinded Saul on the road to Damascus, and Saul became Paul. Saul was killing believers, and now is seeing them saved and baptizing them. What a transformation he went through, but he had to put his faith into action. God told Jesus to go to the cross, and if you remember, Jesus said, if there's any way for me not to do this, please take this cup from me. If, if, if there's any of us that think, and this hit me so hard this week, if we think that Jesus just willingly went to the cross and was like happy-go-lucky about it. He prayed and said, God, please, Father, Abba, don't make me do this. And yet God sent him to the cross. And he had to put his human faith as man and God into action to die for us. Let that sink in for just a minute. James 2.17 says, in the same way, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, I want to be careful with this. It says faith isn't complete without action. That doesn't mean we're not saved. It doesn't mean we can't come to Christ. It doesn't mean we can't call out and receive him as our Lord and Savior. What it is talking about is our faith growing, is that big word called sanctification, which just means over the course of our faith walk with Jesus that we continue to grow. We continue to change, and our faith continues to grow. It's not salvation. It's our faith that's growing, and hope comes from our faith in Jesus and the work it takes for that. Faith to become real, biblical principles there. Um, to pass the test, what do we have to do? We have to study, right? To get that promotion, we have to work hard as unto God to get that promotion. To have enough money at the end of the month, we have to apply principles. There's things we have to do in order for our faith to, to play out, for that hope to play out. We don't just hope things will happen, we have to put our faith into action. And that work produces an, an outcome. And again, my faith isn't based on what I see. My faith is based on who God is. I'm going to bring Corey up here for just a second. I was really blown away yesterday by something um, that happened. And uh, Corey, is, Corey is my son-in-law. And um, I don't like him very much because he's my son-in-law, but I, I tolerate him. So it'll be okay. I think he's on Sarah's mic, Joe. And I, I think I left it on. Is it on? Yep. Hey, there you go with a little echo, too. It's great. Um, 
I went to the Kansas City Marathon. Has anybody ever been to one of the big marathons? Me neither. I had no idea what we were walking into yesterday. So Corey ran a marathon yesterday. I want to talk about how he got there. But these marathons are a big, big deal. And so, like, um, I, I, was, I was blown away by the amount of people out there, by the, the technology. Like, they knew their names when they were coming across the line. That was pretty amazing. Um, the fact that Sarah's really old and she went out there and ran it. I mean, it was, it was a really impressive thing yesterday. I mean, if, I, if I'd have known Sarah was right, I'd have brought you all with me. We'd have been standing at the line because she, she came across the line like this. I mean, she was, but she did okay. It was, it was okay. I'm just kidding. I wish I could run like that. I wish I could run like that. I, I never will, and don't push me, Maria. So, um, but talk to me about a little bit about what happened to you. It was March, right? Yeah. What happened to you in March, what you were doing, and what happened? So, uh, so I thought that I was still young-ish and found an adult football league, and this isn't like a, like a recreational like flag football pickup games or anything like that. I saw a video on Facebook of an old high school buddy of mine and they were full-on padded uniforms. Coaches were out there running practice. And so I just sent him a quick message. And uh, five days later, I ended up acquiring football helmet, shoulder pads, all my own gear, and was out at a Saturday practice, which was partly like my tryout for this team. Um, and it turns out they played 10 full regulation football games from like April through June. Full field, paid refs. They play out at like a convention center, so it's like a nice turf field. It's like, I mean, it's the whole thing. It's technically semi-pro, but you pay to play, so it's not like you're like getting endorsements or anything. But um, it's reverse pro. It's reverse pro. Yeah, reverse pro. Um, Please let me play. I'll give you money. Right. No, yeah. but it was it was cool and it's competitive. And that was I mean, me in high school basketball. They were like, "You want to play? Give me twenty bucks." It's yeah, it was like that. So, but anyway, so I was really excited and. Um, and I played uh, at Blue Springs High School. Uh, my senior year played offense and defense. Um, I could have gotten a couple of small, like, D2 scholarships. Uh, that's a time for a different story. But anyways, I'd always been curious as to what football would have been like had I played in college. I knew that, um, that that's just not something that God wanted me to place my time in in college. Um, I knew that Madison and I would likely end up getting married before I graduated, which we did, and that I had to kind of pay for myself to go through college, and so that football just wasn't feasible. But it's kind of always left that lingering thought of, like, what if? And so I thought, yeah, this will be fun to get out and play. And so I did. And uh, I stretched because I didn't know if they were going to, and uh, I knew that I'm not that young, so I stretched. And then we stretched as a team. We'd been playing for about two hours. Things were going great. I was holding my own. Uh, and then it was, this was about two hours and 15 minutes in, so we were going to tie things up pretty quick. And I'm a wide receiver, so I'm off on the left. This was actually a play call designed to me, so I was going to get wide open in the corner for a touchdown. And uh, so wide receiver stance, you always have one foot in front of the other. And so my left foot was my back foot since the ball was inside. And so I went to push off, and next thing I know, I'm just hitting, hitting the ground on my face and rolling over. And uh, it felt like someone took, like, a helmet or a football and was just probably hazing me because a lot of these guys plays together. It felt like right as they snapped the ball, they threw something at my foot. Uh, not like a tiny thing, but, I mean, it, looked, it felt like a big chunk hit me right in the back of the foot. And uh, I rolled over, and I saw that there was no football or helmet behind me, and so I instantly knew that was my Achilles, and it snapped really hard. So I got up, tried to put some weight on it. That was a no-go. Uh, texted Madison and said, please don't be mad at me. It was an accident. 
And then she immediately called me and I said, hey, uh, I'm on my way to the hospital, which one should I go to? So I found myself at KU Med getting an ultrasound within the hour and uh, yeah, the diagnosis was clear, it was a full ruptured Achilles. Okay, so hold there for a second. What do you think I was thinking as his father-in-law? Four little words and I didn't, I told you so. But I didn't say it, did I? I never said it. No, I never no. even really thought it, because I thought, if anybody can go out and play football, it's Corey, right? I mean, I, he's, he looks like that. So why, I mean, why couldn't he go play football, yes, right? I, guess. I mean, why couldn't he go play football? But what I want to know is in that moment when you were driving to the hospital, and that happened to you, and you were trying to do something you loved, and you were putting everything into it, and you felt like God had opened that door, what was your mindset in that moment? Well, it can get worse than this. So like, life, like life's still going to be okay. Okay. Where was your hope? Honestly, at the moment. In the, my hope? <laughs> I mean, Christ wasn't necessarily my first thought, but I knew that KU Med was the best around and that there's others that have walked this path before. And so, like, while there may be residual effects down the road, um, that, God willing, I should still be able to make a recovery. Right. And so you went to the best place you knew, yes. KU, right? So we, we, we put our hope in doctors, right? Right. And you had surgery... Ten days later. Ten days later, right? So he has surgery, and, you know, it was kind of a rough thing, and we can tell you about that another time, but um, what, was, what's been, what was impressive to me, and I know you felt down at times, and I know you felt defeated at times, because you just, you know, you obviously feel that way, but... And, and I would say, too, just on, uh, on the back side of that, as, as, as and some of you know or don't know, but this past summer, I had a, I had a, a retinal detachment in my eye, and I, I went through four surgeries in a month over the summer, um, and it was, it was frightening, and I was very much putting my hope in surgeons. Um, without my glasses on, I can't really tell who any of you are, which is why I took them off. So um, not only do you look great in the dark, you look great when I take my glasses off, too. But um, I, I had to put my faith in that, and my hope in those doctors. But here's the thing, and ultimately, it comes down to this. My faith was in Jesus. And I think you heard Corey say that too, because ultimately, you can put your faith in the doctors, and they can do whatever they want, but healing or not healing is really up to God at that point. It's not up to us at that point. Um, and then tell me, you know, you went through PT for the last, how many weeks of PT did you go through? Uh, so PT finally wrapped up. Um, it was actually on my birthday, which was cool. Uh, it was my last PT session. I got 100% medically cleared, um, and it took about six months. Um, so I couldn't start PT for probably three or four weeks, which just consisted of stretching. Uh, then I was able to start walking, but I had to two-step. So any of my family members know I was like double timing it to keep up with everyone. And hopping a lot. And hopping a lot. Hopping so I couldn't roll my, great. after I finally started walking again, <laughs> even out of a boot, um, they, they have to attach your Achilles so tight to make sure that it's going to function again, that for the first probably two months, I was working on just stretching my knee past straight, because your Achilles is the part of the back of your heel. So I couldn't bend my knee past 90 degrees. It just, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't put a bulldozer behind me and push me to make it go. And so I was having to two-step everywhere because I couldn't have it trailing. So everyone's walking, and I'm, like, around the grocery store feeling so bad that I can't keep <laughs> up because I have to walk like that. So I taught myself how to walk like that, and then I could finally teach myself to go past it. But then I had to teach myself again how to roll and actually push off my toes. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, I mean, 
a good better part of six months, yeah. but, and I still don't feel normal. But. Well, you've never been. So what I'm trying to tie in here is, and what I want you to understand is, even in those six months, we're, he's putting his hope in physical therapy, and he's putting his faith in the work that he's doing, mm. right? So we can have the hope, but we have to put action to our faith, okay? Because we can go to PT for six months, and this, is, this has nothing to do with God right here whatsoever, but the point is, we can go to PT for six months, but if we don't do the work, and we don't work out our faith that that's going to work, what happens? Nothing. Let me tell you that the same thing is true in our spiritual lives, we can have hope in Jesus, and we can have all the faith in the world that God's going to do what he's going to do, but until we begin to walk that out, we're holding God's hand back to do the things in our lives that he wants to do. And so tell me what happened seven months. This is, this is crazy because I'm telling him the whole time, like, dude, like NFL players, you know, rupture their Achilles. They're out for like a year. Yeah. So seven months, seven months, tell me what, you know, t- tell us about yesterday so... and what that was like for you. Yes, yesterday, uh, I almost... And obviously you passed Sarah on the, on the way, so yeah. Started in front of her. <laughs> uh, um, so yesterday was seven months and one day from surgery, and I was able to run um, a half marathon yesterday. Which is? 13.1 miles. Uh, I had ran them before, but the last one was the same event eight years ago when I was still in high school. Um, and I haven't ran anywhere close to 13 miles since. Um, it was actually really cool. I was at about mile 12 point, I was at about 12.3. I was tracking it on my watch. And uh, while I've been getting out and running and training for this, and you know, most people are bore running, so they might not get it, but I still crack a grin every once in a while while running because I'm just like, I can't believe that I'm actually out here and doing this. I didn't get a jog for the first time until four months after surgery. Uh, I didn't get a jump until almost six. Um, so this is still relatively new. I wasn't sprinting until September. Um, but about 12.3 miles, while I had my grins and stuff throughout the race, just knowing that I was, so I'm coming down Gillum, and this is by the park next to Nelson Atkins. So I knew that I was going to come down Gillum and then turn, and finish line is right in front of Nelson Atkins. So I'm very, very close at this point. And um, I started to get choked up. And uh, I'm not exactly a pretty crier. Most of the times I can contain it, but it was very visceral. It wasn't, it wasn't so much the tears. It was that I started to get locked up. And because I'm getting locked up while running, I'm realizing, like, I'm not inhaling. <laughs> so I'm tearing myself up, like, two or three times, just imagining crossing the finish line to the point of, like, not being able to breathe. So that was fun. Um, but it was just a total, it's a total God thing. As much as I have put in the work there is no amount of work that I should have been able to put in to be where I'm at today. I mean, we saw Kevin Durant or Eric Berry or all these people that are professional athletes that take 10 months to a year or longer to recover. They don't do anything all day but get to stretch and have the best food and the best nutrients and the best doctors and physical therapy all day long. I had it for three days a week for a couple months and then two days a week and I'm still working full-time and doing ministry and coming and playing bass. So it's not like I'm getting to just focus on that solely, and I'm running 13 miles after seven months. And I'm, I do Young Life with my wife, and it's a high school ministry, and I'm still I'm jumping up and grabbing a 10-foot basketball rim. The fact that I'm under six foot and a white guy, I shouldn't be able to do that in the first place, let alone after <laughs> an Achilles rupture. So it's Mike Moses can do that. Mike Moses can yeah, do that. Yeah, he can. So, he can. The fact that I can do that, I mean, there is a small amount of effort placed on my end, but it is total faith, and it is beyond me that I can do what I can do today, because as much as I can say I've put in the work, it still wouldn't amount to me being where I'm at today, 
by any other. I mean, you can look at a bunch of other people who have recovered, and it shouldn't look like this. Yeah. So let me thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. So this gets us to our last point, and that's that trials can draw us closer to God. They don't always have to push us away if we'll allow them. In verse 8, 1 Peter 1, 8, though you've not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We're talking about Jesus. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Remember who Peter's writing to. Again, persecution happening. Um, and is there a reward for trusting? Yes, there is. And it's the salvation and the completeness of our salvation when we meet Jesus. Because that's the moment when our salvation is actually complete. The good news is the gospel isn't that Jesus will save us from trials. The good news is that he saves us from our sin. Let me say that again. Let that just The good news of the scripture isn't that always Jesus saves us from our trials. The good news is that he saves us from our sin. The good news is that we get to we get salvation. We get to meet Jesus. We get to live life. I love Mark Lowry said this once. This is life, right? We get to live life more abundantly, right? With Jesus. It's just more fun, right? He never said he was going to keep us from pain and suffering, but John 16, says that we will have trouble, but take heart because Jesus won. Trials cause us to either draw close or not, and so the question is, where is our faith? Where is our faith lying? Where is our hope lying? Um, and are we okay in those moments where things don't turn out like that turned out? What happens when we don't heal? What happens when we get injured and we still have pain? What happens when our spouse dies? What happens when our child dies? What happens when we lose our job? And it wrecks us financially, and maybe we never recover from that. What happens when, in our eyes, God doesn't come through? Corey's story is amazing, as, as well as my eye. Um, and I'll tell you, I spent most of my summer wondering if I'd ever be able to do any of this again. To, to, and some of you watched me struggle to play keyboard. I mean, I struggle to play keyboard anyway, but you, you watched me. You, I mean, uh, struggle and wonder, God, what if I live to live in a dark world the rest of my life? What if you don't answer my prayers? What if in my begging you, literally in the middle of the night, praying for you, to heal my eyes? What if the prayers of, of your people, what if, what if you choose to not answer that prayer or your answer is no? What does that do to my faith? And ultimately, where is my faith at that point? Where is my hope at that point? Because I can have all the hope in the world in the doctors, but that doesn't mean that God's gonna choose to do the healing. And sometimes that healing is ultimate. So let me say, say this, because in, and, and, and this was said so well. If hope failed you, then it wasn't that hope that failed. It's that your hope was in a different outcome than what God had. Let me, let me read that again. If hope failed you, it wasn't your hope that failed. It's that your hope was in a different outcome than what God wanted. As soon as we change our perspective and say, listen to this, God, your will be done. That's a hard thing to say. I can tell you when my wife was laying, dying in her bed, and my children were with me, 
and we stood there around her. God, your will be done. This sucks. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But God, your will be done. You have a plan. You've got something. I don't know what it is, but you've got something. And it's the same thing when God does heal. Even more so, because at that point, God's blessed us to be responsible with that healing. God, your will be done through me. Let's pray. Lord God, um, there are for sure those of us here this morning who are hurting. God, there are for sure those of us who are struggling. God, we're struggling with a sin we can't overcome. God, we're struggling with physical ailments. We're struggling with mental ailments. God, we're struggling with a marriage that looks like it might not make it. God, we're, we're struggling with our kids. We're struggling with, with whatever's going on in our lives. God, maybe we're struggling at work and we just want healing. And God, we pray and we pray and we pray, but sometimes it feels like you don't hear us, but God, we know that you do. And I do pray for those that are here this morning that are, that are, that are struggling and are in trials right now. Maybe the, maybe the greatest truth that's ever been spoken is that we've either just come out of a trial, we're in one, or we're gonna hit one. Because God, you want us to grow. You want us to learn. You want us to, to become mature in our faith. You want us to find you when we seek you. And God, ultimately, that's our choice of where we place our hope and our faith. And so, God, I pray for those who are struggling this morning. God, I pray for healing where it needs to happen. I pray for restoration where it needs to happen. I pray for your will to be done, God, no matter what that is. And at the end of that, God, that we can look at you and say, your will be done in and through my life. Because I have faith and I have trust and I have the hope of the cross and the empty tomb that you overcame death, you overcame hurt, you overcame ailments, you overcame all of it, Jesus, and that you offer all that to us eventually. And in the midst of that, God, may you grow our faith. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with hope, and faith and where it's placed, and maybe you've never crossed that line of faith, I invite you this morning to come to Jesus and find him, to call out his name, to ask for forgiveness for all the crud we've done and all the sin in our lives, and just say, God, I'm laying it at your feet, and I want to know you. I want to follow you. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's just a renewal this morning for you of your faith. Maybe you're just struggling with God's just not doing what you think he ought to be doing. I've been there, and sometimes I'm still there. But God, we pray that you would make that faith complete. God, that we would put our utter and complete trust in you. And at the end of the day, Lord Jesus, we could say your will be done. There's nothing greater than trusting you. There's nothing greater than knowing you. There's nothing greater than finding you. 
And so God, I pray that you'll do miracles in our hearts and our lives this morning because God, it really is an internal thing. And it's a personal thing. But God, if tragedy struck today, do we trust you? If we face trials today that we don't understand, do we trust you? And God, I pray the answer to that could be a just strong, resounding yes. God, we praise you, we love you, and we trust you in your name.